0: Good morning, and welcome to More Than a Few Words, a marketing podcast for small business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball, and I help small businesses become big businesses. And today, we're going to be talking about a very specific part of the life of a business, the exit strategy. And joining me is Chris McAvoy of Wingspan Thinking. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Lorraine. Welcome. We're so glad you could be here. And as always, Allison is hanging out, watching the Twitter stream. Hey, everybody. Join the conversation. Hashtag mTFw or at Roundpeg. We'd love to uh, to have you guys join us, pipe in, ask some questions. Before we dive right into the topic, I really want you to know a little bit about Wingspan thinking. So, Chris, tell folks about the business, kind of what you do.
1: Well, what I do is I do three things, really. And one is I'll, I'll kind of do them in random order one is I teach at Purdue University in their entrepreneurship program and I've been doing that I'm in my fourth year of doing that and it's a lot of fun matching with very bright 19 and 23 year olds and the next thing I do is I'm a volunteer store counselor
0: the sound effect that you heard in the back was Clyde our office cat jumping from shelf to shelf, and I believe some contents of my office have scattered on the floor.
1: This this is not the first time I've been upstaged by an animal.
0: (laughs) That doesn't bother
1: me. I was saying I'm a volunteer score counselor, and that has given me access. We have a database of all the the clients that we have counseled with, and I discovered, much to my shock, that I have counseled with 954 clients.
0: Oh, my goodness. So
1: I get to hear a lot of things, and it's one of the things that helps keep a person fresh.
0: No kidding. Now, Can you talk about any of the companies that you've, you've worked with that people might maybe be familiar with?
1: Well, often when they come into SCORE, they're having problems, so uh. <laughs> we tend to not be terribly uh, descriptive about, about who they are, but we do get a very interesting mix of people coming in with different questions and i can remember a young lady and her mother and i gave her the little score pitch and said how can i help you and the mother said my daughter needs help picking colors for her website <laughs> and i would have to tell you that they were sitting in front of them absolutely least capable of offering
0: any help for that So we
1: just chatted about other
0: things. I think sometimes, sometimes, uh, and and in working with small business, I've seen a lot of the same things, is people want one person to have all of the answers. And while I would trust you with my financial statements, I have to agree that I probably wouldn't trust you with my colors.
1: Well, and you're sitting across from me right now, so I'm going to take that as a, a, you know, you notice how I'm dressed.
0: Because we're wearing the same color. (laughs) Blue is a good color today. We're all wearing blue. Yeah, okay, that was the color for Round Peg Radio. It's a shame this is Round Peg Radio and not Round Peg Television.
1: (laughs) Well, and then basically where I was going with all of this is that what I do at Purdue in terms of entrepreneurship, what I have learned and what I do at SCORE all ties into Wingspan Thinking, which is my consulting company. And basically, my message is that I am looking to work with companies that are ready to grow 3x, 5x, or 10x. And I take them through a process that consists of five different phases, the first of which is ideation, which is teaching them how to think, you know, think innovatively. And it goes all the way through to being able to help them get in front of investors.
0: And I think, you know, part of that whole thinking process is considering as you're building this and as you're, you're planning this, how do you get out on the back end?
1: That is very true.
0: So um, we were talking before the, the show went live um, a little bit about different types of exit strategies and, and some things that I really hadn't considered that if exit planning is not just 10 years away from retirement, but that you really need to have strategies in place. Um, throughout your business
1: that is very much the case and really the smart business will have the first maybe two exit strategies in place before they even form the
0: company well and let's go ahead and talk about one of them the end uh, two weeks ago we had a bunch of folks in from startup weekend and, and uh, we were just getting ready for uh, an event here in India and I think there were eight or nine teams so eight or nine new businesses formed that are partnerships, and you are smiling already. Let's let's talk about what type of exit planning you need to have right from the get-go if you're building a partnership.
1: Well, I can use myself as the guinea pig here because in my company, which ultimately grew to be 300, this is my first company, not my current company, ultimately grew to be 350 professional employees with an international marketing footprint In that company, I had a partner, and we ended up parting company. And the more research I've done says that is much more likely to be the case than this partnership is going to survive.
0: So if you uh, come into the business not necessarily expecting it to end badly. No,
1: you never do. You never (laughs) expect (laughs) that.
0: But what type of strategy should you have in place if you're setting up a partnership, and why is that so important on day one? well
1: here's here's the deal if you and more than one other you and another person or more are going to be owners are going to be key members of this business and you decide one of the members decides, hey, I don't want to do this anymore for any number of reasons you need a way that has been predefined to get out of the business you need a way to value it you need a way to make sure that Buying out that partner doesn't bankrupt the business. You need all these things in place.
0: And, you know, that's um, really uh, a much easier conversation to have, I think, when you like everybody and uh, you all think it's going to be successful. You all come to terms. At that moment, you don't know who's going to be first out. So you really look, I think, for the most balanced way to value the business. Um, That will be the fairest long term. That's
1: exactly the case. The the very awkward thing you don't want is to be trying to figure out how do we value the business and we're all mad at each other. What's going to happen is you're going to make a bunch of lawyers rich. Yep.
0: As opposed to uh, paying a very nominal fee on the front end to set up that buy sell agreement. Um, I had a friend of mine, she went into business with four partners, so five of them and they did that they agreed on what was the process if they wanted to vote one of the partners out and what that partner would get and um as it turned out they got rid of one partner and then they got and then she left the business and she felt it was really um she walked out with a fair share Mm -hmm. and and the business was able to continue but she she certainly got um, a nice sum of money that, that allowed her to set up her next business. Yeah,
1: and that's that's really the outcome you're looking for. You're looking for everybody feeling like they've been treated fairly. And that's, that's all you can ask.
0: Okay, so now the next strategy is I am a, uh, I'm a sole provider. And, okay, Groundhack is a good example. This is my business. I own the business. But I have key people in place. What should I have as an exit strategy? I'm planning on doing this for quite a while longer.
1: Okay, well, let me let me add one more to that before you go into business. There's another strategy you may have to think about, and that would be what happens if one of us dies unexpectedly? And, you know, we all have families, and you want to make sure the family's provided for it. You want to make sure the business can go on. Mm-hmm. And so it's very usual to finance a buy-sell agreement between the parties that are involved with insurance
0: Oh, so so that would be very much the case um i bought the building that i'm in right now Mm -hmm. with a partner Mm -hmm. and we had a buy-sell agreement in twice so if one of us got hit by a bus i would not be in business with my partner's ex-wife exactly
1: exactly and in fact in my first company my partner expected that if he died, I would run the company forever to the benefit of his life. And that was just totally, it wasn't going to happen. And we didn't have that in place initially. And it took us a long time and we spent a lot of money coming to that realization. And so do it on the front end.
0: Absolutely. My, my, you know, it's interesting, the more that we talk about this, the more examples I see both good and bad. My husband's two uncles were in business together. And, um, one of the uncles died. Mm-hmm. And there was an insurance policy and a buy sell agreement, um, which allowed the surviving uncle to, to run the business and provide financially for the other's wife, ex wife, children, um, pets. pets. And, but, but, but allowed, allowed them to keep all of that chaos out of the business. Precisely. Um, So there was squabbling between the wife and the ex-wife, but there was not anything of that that was impacting the continuity of the business.
1: And that's the beauty of having all this stuff planned in advance. Uh Absolutely. keeps the drama down. Okay,
0: yes, it does. (laughs) Okay, so next phase. Um, Okay, so let's
1: let's say you, you decide the business is humming along, and you decide you're gonna take in an investor, that you have some growth opportunities that you can't fund out of cash flow. And so you go looking for investors. And what you're gonna find, particularly in today's environment, is that any investor is going to probably have a window of about three years before they would like to add their money back. And so you will need to have an exit strategy for the investor.
0: So um, when you're thinking about bringing in investors, you have to think about it being real. It's really, in a way, a different style of loan. I-, I mean, it's not it's not like an investor that's going to be with you forever and ever and ever. It's really like an alternative to a bank loan.
1: It is, and it's an alternative that has pretty high stakes involved because, of course, the investor is looking for a pretty big kiss at the end. And uh, so this means you need to really think this out very carefully about how are you going to provide that provide the return that that investor wants and you know it it's not necessarily easy to do but that is an exit strategy that's very important
0: so um, as you're looking so, so some, for some of these startups that came through startup weekend again mm-hmm. if they're looking for investors half the trick is finding the people with the money but the other half is negotiating a uh, An appropriate strategy
1: what that is called it's a liquidity event and when I talk to my classes at Purdue about this Purdue has something on football weekends known as the breakfast club and that's where all the bars open at 730 in the morning and I consider that a liquidity event (laughs) but it's not really pertinent to what we're talking about
0: (laughs) but uh, when the bar is open at seven a.m., do the investors show up and negotiate deals?
1: If they do, they probably will regret it. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: Okay. Um, anything else people should think about in terms of exit strategies for investors?
1: Um. Well, in terms of the exit strategy, I'm not sure I have anything more to offer. The one, the one thing I would throw in would be that, that the ideal situation is find an investor who brings more than money to you, who brings a Rolodex, who brings a, an expertise, somebody who can really mentor you, help you, things like that.
0: Yes, I, um, that, I, I've heard that a lot. Um, and that's one of the arguments for why companies run to Silicon Valley is it's not just that the money is there but it's, it's the Rolodex, it's the connections, it's the other people that you need to know. I think we're starting to build that kind of tech community here, but I think that's a big part of it. You're,
1: you're exactly right, and as a matter of fact, Purdue uh, in the last six months has opened an office in Silicon Valley, and they're trying to promote, number one, Indiana is a great place for people to make stuff, mm-hmm. to have operations, and number two, the Purdue talent in terms of science and engineering can be of use to people out there. Okay.
0: Okay. And the exit strategy that probably most people think about, the I have this business, but now I want to get out. And that's the one
1: that often people begin thinking about it six months ahead of when they want to get out. And almost always, they end up being very unpleasantly surprised at what this business is worth to somebody on the outside.
0: So, realistically, how far in advance should I start thinking about my exit strategy? Because it's clearly not six months. It's not enough time to to bundle a business for sale.
1: Absolutely. Well... You know, you really should start thinking about it in a way right now because one of the maxims is always behave as though your business is for sale because one day it will be. And so if you run your business with that idea in mind, you won't have as much cleanup to do. But, I mean, what typically happens is that somebody will think they want to sell the business and when they they are faced with the hard reality that they are the business, that they have a lot of sloppy stuff going on inside, it could take two to three years to put it in a shape that they would really get a return.
0: So what kinds of things should business owners do to get their business in shape?
1: Well, I think early in the game, go talk to some business brokers and get an idea of what the business is worth based on what similar businesses have sold for. And, you know, you will be introduced to a concept of... uh, what constitutes a free and willing buyer and a free and willing seller and that's really what determines the price that's fair market value and so until you find somebody who's willing to pay your price or until you're willing to take what somebody else offers you don't have anything and so a business broker is going to kind of know where those are coming down
0: and i think you know one of the things that um when I was spending a lot of time in the HVAC industry, the thing that had the most value was the customer list in that market. And it's not just a list of customer names, but it's accounts. How many service agreements do they have? And I guess the way I would translate that is guaranteed reoccurring revenue streams.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so many businesses have an opportunity to have that and they haven't developed it. And so that, when you begin looking at ways to really create assets in your business, you have such things as intellectual property. You have publications that you've done, perhaps, that could be sold. You have any number of things. You could have videos. You could have books. You could have just a number of things that could be turned, could be
0: monetized. And I think, you know, um, so many of the people that have left corporate and have started businesses, and they are the business, there's nothing to sell
1: that's that's a very good point and in fact the business i'm in that is the case and so my own longer term <laughs> plan is to get so busy that i have to actively find somebody to come in and help me do what i do and learn it and if they want take it over
0: i think you know that's the transition um as i look at the difference where round Peg is now versus where it was maybe a few years ago um I'm still, right now, the primary mm-hmm. reason people come to us. And so But more and more, um, you know, Allison is building her own following. She's been awfully quiet today. I'm listening. <laughs> I don't know anything about this, so I have nothing to add. But <laughs> well, she's taking notes over there. But, I mean, really, she's got her own following. So we get clients now who come to us purely because of her expertise. And I think that's the transition, you know, in my mind, if this is going to be a business, if somebody else will want to buy, whether it's my employees or someone else, it has to have a revenue stream that is independent of me. And, you
1: know, that goes back to another thing that it's easy to say and maybe hard to do. And I, I go back to my very first company, which was a software company. And one of my proudest days was after we had begun to grow And i still had my hand in the in the details of writing code and stuff like that but one of the greatest days was when a group of the really talented programmers came to me and they had elected a spokesperson and she said i'm not really sure how to tell you this and of course that was the warning that watch out (laughs) here it comes she said You know, we would really appreciate it if you wouldn't get involved in the code because it really takes us a lot of time to clean it up. (laughs) And, you know, at first I was offended, and then I thought, wait a minute, that's what you've been wanting. You've been hiring people better than you, so let them do it. We've
0: never had a conversation. Uh, Well, we haven't had a conversation like that. We we did have a conversation like that. But, you (laughs) know,
1: it kind of helps keep you humble. And it also helps you build your business.
0: Well, and I think that's the thing is is, um, recognizing that you can't do everything and recognizing what you're good at. And it is the difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. Precisely. When you are self-employed, even if you have people who work for you, when you are self-employed, you're doing everything. And um, when you become a business owner, I don't. Design as well as Jenna. I don't write as well as Allison. And I don't have the patience to do the intricate work on web design that Joe and Peter do. And that's okay.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because um, the company, if the company was limited by my skill set, the company would be limited.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There are only so many hours in a day that you can do stuff.
0: So, so um, what else should I? If I want to get a business ready for sale have marketable projects and revenue streams that are separate from me hopefully have um, some reoccurring revenue that continues Mm -hmm. even after I'm gone Mm -hmm. what else um, what other assets add value to a business
1: well if you're in a if you find yourself in a market that right now is a hot niche that that is putting you in a very special position and what that's opening you up for is somebody who who might come along and offer you silly money I love that term well it's a term that I heard a few years back at a tech point new economy new rules presentation that is held the first Friday of every month at Barnes & Thornburg downtown and they had three Indiana companies who had sold to out-of-state companies uh, one of which was Baker Hill, a software company, and there were two others. And that was where I first heard that term. And what the term really meant was somebody, and one, one was somebody in the medical field that bought a company called Suro Systems for over $300 million, and this company had never turned a profit, but they had a new technology that another company said, we can put that technology to work so much faster than you can we are willing to overpay for the company we are willing to offer you selling money and so I've always loved that term and my comment is that if somebody comes along and offers you selling money you don't have to take it because you're silly if you don't look at it because that opportunity may not come back around
0: and um, I have uh, and I, I won't well, tell you the company, but I, I did have a friend and he had a business um, and he was offered in retrospect it was silly money. At the time he didn't think so. Um, Good he, point. He, at the time he did not think it was enough because he was overvaluing one's business to worth. The problem was that he was offered silly money at the peak of his business. And uh, the business decline business is still in business but it is not making anywhere near the revenue it was generating a peak. and clearly now no one is offering him silly money
1: that's that's the point that's the point you better look at it yeah and you know I would give you an anecdote of one of my clients that was a couple of a couple of engineers and they were approached and offered I'm not sure they though I know they were offered I'm not sure it's silly but playful money maybe (laughs) something not quite as good but but very nice and it was above what they were willing to sell their company for and I had been coaching them and they talked about stock options they talked about bonuses that they met their three-year forecast etc and they had a very capable buyer somebody that they checked out and they knew what they were doing and the buyer said, we really, our business model doesn't let us offer stock options. But we would be willing, if you meet your three-year goals, we would be willing to bonus you in an amount equal to the original purchase price. So they had a way to double their money. And so they were jubilant about this. And I said, well, let me see the forecast that you gave me. And I looked at it and it was a forecast that had been put together by a couple of engineers where the world is black and white, and they had no experience in being a business five times bigger, which they projected to be in three years, and they had totally underpriced the administrative expenses of the company to the point, I mean, there are databases that will show you by percent of revenues what wages would be for a given company of that size, what rent should be, And I finally had to show them those numbers to show them how much under their peer group they would be. And I said, you can't sit there and tell me that all of these companies that make up this average are wrong and you're right. And they finally agreed. And so they changed their forecast. And if they hadn't done that, they would have been locked into a demotivating situation because they never would have made it. and they were smart enough to listen and that's the point so go get some advice Uh,
0: and I think that is the point is that um, as you're looking to value in any of these in any of these situations I think exit strategy is an area where you need a impartial third party
1: you do you do and I in fact I even had a client who was going to. For their valuation, the two the two people were going to go out and ask friends of theirs to just give them a value, and then they were going to average it. And I absolutely,
0: you know, I I threatened
1: them that they did that.
0: Yeah, because none of their friends have any idea. That's the point. It's yeah. Simple. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is a hard, cold dose. Um, uh, sometimes when you find out what, what your business is worth to someone else,
1: it is it is I had it's what it's like saying your baby is ugly yeah nobody
0: yes. likes to
1: hear that
0: no but it, but it is very true I um I actually looked at buying um, one of my competitors out four years ago and when I started looking at his financials there were several things one is I felt a lot better about mine <laughs> uh, I recognized it was time to raise my prices um, but it was also a, a an interesting conversation that he didn't want to hear what the business was worth so uh, I, I think it is very much uh, getting other people to look at it we are almost out of time um any questions no nope, we're good we're good Allison's been typing away so hopefully you hopefully you guys um, have enjoyed the conversation it is a little bit of a different topic for us but I think one that businesses really need to be looking at closing thoughts Chris um, <clears throat> well
1: I would like to invite people to my website if I may absolutely it is www go wingspan just the way it sounds dot com
0: awesome and they will and uh, I can tell you that um, regardless of the stage that your business is in taking a look at some of the things that Chris has got uh, to offer whether it's Uh, ideation, market valuation, um, looking at your business model, looking at the various elements, um, building some realistic financial projections, not unrealistic hockey sticks. And also, most importantly, if you're serious about growth, um, I think there's often financing alternatives that people need to discover. And you definitely should uh, should check out uh, what Chris has got to say. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very
1: much. It's been a pleasure.
0: This has really been fun. If, you'd like, if you've enjoyed today's program and you'd like to learn more about business planning, marketing, networking, social media, some of our regular topics, be sure to check out our blog at www.roundped.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.